If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Hey everybody, how we doing? Welcome to the podcast today. Today I have a very special guest, one of my best friends. This man I lived with in Marble. We lived in a cabin that was about 800 square feet. Pretty small space. Cabins in winter, or uh, winters in Marble are, are no joke. And we had a good time. We learned a lot about each other. He's a hunting guide as well, a big time hunter. Um, welcome, my good friend Dylan. What's up, man? How are you? What is up? How are you? I'm good. Good, good. That good. cabin was great. Even because <laughs> you're such a small person, that cabin is so small that it, it actually worked out pretty good. Yeah, we had enough space, just enough. You, you had the master, and I had my little bunk bed, like in this little nook in the cabin, and <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. You, it was you had awesome. like a curtain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've never lived in a place that snowed so much. It's every day it was snowing. It was crazy. Literally every day. When I yeah. when I when I when I tell people it snowed every day, people like hear that and they and they think that I'm like exaggerating. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, legitimately it snowed every single day. There were one. yeah. There were nights and mornings I was driving home where avalanches literally just happened before I was there. Like, yeah, you could hear them from mm-hmm. like the driveway. You could hear avalanches and rock slides all yeah. day. It was wild. That was a wild place to live. It was solitude, complete solitude. No internet, no TV. Yeah, it was great when you drove out from Carbondale and everything shut off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember leaving town. Was, the scary part was when you got back in and your phone started going off. Like, oh my god. I hated it. I got to a point of I would even. Who possibly wants to contact me? Yeah, ding, ding, ding. Oh man, it's a real world. Oh my gosh. Real world yeah. calling in, yeah. All right, Dylan, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and kind of what's gotten you to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. Um, I am. I'm from Iowa. I've been bow hunting for a long time. I'm coming up. This is my 18th year of bow hunting. Probably like 
20 years of shooting a bow now. Uh, it was kind of like our family thing. We never really got into the gun hunting. My grandpa and I tried it a few a few times, shotguns and muzzleloaders. There's no rifle hunting in Iowa because it's so flat. You don't want to shoot a rifle bullet forever. It just wasn't our thing. And then it became like a way for us to kind of bond. We'd go out to our family property and we set up a bunch of targets. And me and my dad and my grandpa and my uncles and my cousins would all have bows. And we would just shoot and talk about different bows and different arrows and talk about the deer season and stuff. And I remember the first time I went hunting with my dad, I was like seven years old. And I had a bow, but I was only allowed to kill squirrels. And my dad shot a deer. And I asked him if I could shoot a deer, and he said my bow wasn't strong enough. He said, but if next year you can pull back a 40-pound bow, then I'll take you hunting. And so I spent that whole winter. He went and bought me a new bow that could go up to 40 pounds. I spent that whole winter and the whole next year trying to draw that bow. And then right after my ninth birthday, because the bow season opens October 1st in Iowa, Right after my ninth birthday, on October 1st, my dad took me hunting, and on opening day, I shot a deer, and I was hooked. And my dad mm-hmm. my grandpa were both there, and my grandpa came running over. He was in a stand like 100 yards away. I watched the whole thing happen. My grandpa came running over, and he was asking my dad all these questions, and I was nine, and I was like <laughs> trying to pick up this information, what they were talking about. Right. I've, ne- I've never tracked a deer before. I don't know what, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I want help, and they're like, then my grandpa started going off on this walk and I started following him. He was following these little blood droplets and I don't know, I just got like yeah. super addicted to it. And we followed the blood trail and found the deer and my dad and my grandpa were just freaking out and that made me freak out and I was just like Freaking this out. Is awesome. in... This is so cool. <laughs> freaking they were just out. Like, my my grandpa was like almost in tears. He was yeah. just like he couldn't believe it. And he's like, My I was nine years old. My my dad it's so funny is my dad set me up for success for the rest of my life by this statement. Yeah. Because one time in the summer we were driving in a truck before this bow season and I told him, I was like, hey, I can pull 40 pounds now. I was like, you told me you would take me hunting. He's like, I will. He's like, but I want you to know your your chances are very, very, very slim. Mm-hmm. He's like, so I don't want you to get your hopes up. You're not just, just because just you can shoot this bow doesn't mean that you will shoot a deer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm going to shoot one. And he was like, yeah. you can't you can't look at it like that. You know, there's yeah. very, very slim chances. Yeah. And then I did it, and that kind of set me up for everything else that I'm doing now. Because whenever whenever a challenge like that comes up, you have slim, slim chances. Mm-hmm. Like bow hunting, a little bit of it is luck, but if you can control all the variables around it, your chances are increased. Mm-hmm. And that that's, that's how I bow hunt now. Yeah. It's just decrease any of the luck that is needed by making just the right decisions at the right times, Mm -hmm. scouting, getting all the variables put into play, leaving that chance to just a small percentage as opposed to a large percentage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I just grew up bow hunting and started shooting deer. I got put in a few magazines in Iowa, some hunting magazines. I thought that was pretty cool when I was growing up. When I was in high school, I got put in Iowa Game and Fish again for shooting this 12-point buck and then ended up going out to Colorado and guiding rafting. And then I met you, and you were talking about guiding hunting and going hunting. And I went back to Iowa thinking that I had to like go to like a guide school and do all this stuff. So then I went back to Iowa, and I started looking at guide schools, and I was like, saving up money to go and then I came back out to Colorado and you were guiding at Bear Creek and then I was introduced to Bucky (laughs) Bucky. and then you and Bucky 
brought me up to Bear Creek, and then Bear Creek gave me a shot, and then that kind of led into the whole guiding of hunting thing, and I ended up in Marble and working with the horses and going pretty far into the backcountry, and then I kind of stopped guiding when I saw the backcountry, and then it just became my heaven out there by myself. Once I saw the backcountry for the first time on the horseback, I was like, man, I don't want to do this for a job anymore. I want to just come out here by myself. I don't want any of these people to be here. What was that like to see that for the first time? It was like everything that I had when I was a kid and I'd visit Colorado and I'd look out of the mountains and we'd go on hiking trails and I thought the hiking trails were cool. But even when I was like in junior high and high school and we were out here, I was always wondering like, what is beyond the trails? Mm -hmm. Because like you get to the top of some trails and you look out and there's no trails out there, but there's still mountains. And then when I found out that you could just walk wherever you wanted, like it was a weird concept being from Iowa. Yeah. It's not like, I mean... There's not a whole lot of public land in Iowa. Yeah, there's a lot of private it's land. A very, yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a farm state. and There's a bunch of big farms. So mm-hmm. I was like, you can just walk out there? I was like, for miles and miles and miles. And my, and my stepdad was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's like, these trails are for people to walk on. I was like, no, I mean, like, off the trails. He's like, yeah, yeah. I don't see why not. And then when I came out here, started hanging out with the raft guys, and we were going out on National Forest and stuff, BLM ground and stuff, and we were just camping and having a good time. But all I could think was like, is this the places that you can hunt? Yeah. Is this the places that you can hunt? Can you hunt here? Like, what is legal? And then once I got into guiding and I found out all the rules and stuff, I was like, oh, my gosh. So all of this. The White River National Forest is 63,800 acres. Mm-hmm. That is so big. Yeah. Like, that is when the horses become useful. I'm glad I got to use the horses for the first couple of years, but. Well, you now Honestly, have that you knowledge, train. too. You have that knowledge, too, now where you can go do backcountry hunts, and if you have access to horses, you have right. the experience with it. Yeah, that is that is definitely the plan for my future is to get some horses. Me and Bucky have been talking about getting some horses or even llamas. Mm-hmm. Running them is okay. Running them is just kind of pricey. Yeah. And whenever I, whenever I think about running a horse, I'm just like, why don't you just work out more before season? Yeah. <laughs> you know? If I had my own horses, yeah. you know, it would be great to use them. Yeah. It's just weird to, it just feels weird to rent it. Yeah. It kind of feels like a cop out. Exactly. You, know? you need to raise your own, have a, have a relationship yeah. with the animal and trust it and know its capabilities and tendencies. Right. And, and if stuff, you have a goal yeah. to train for, it keeps you, it keeps you working out. Yeah. You know, exactly. you don't have the option to not go. Yeah. Every time I walk into the gym, I'm just like thinking about how far can I carry an elk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's always in the back of the mind. This past season, that was, I was rough. Yeah. Last so, last season was the only reason I might not bow hunt for an elk solo next year. Because of the pack out. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty rough, and out of, out of respect for the elk, I almost I almost lost some meat because it was so long. Why don't you tell us that and, story about that hunt, Dylan? The elk hunt. Yeah. The elk hunt. For yeah. Sure. So. <sighs> the elk hunt was. Very special A because it was my first bull. My first elk. It was my first elk. It's my first elk ever. Um, but it was also in an area that I never used to have access to hunt because of some weird legal things between the landowners that own the property around the national forest and the outfitter that I worked for. So they had like this weird as weird deal going on where the uh, outfitter bought the hunting company from the landowners and the landowner said, you can have this company at this price as long as you don't let any guides take any hunters or hunt by themselves in Carbonate Creek. 
which is the national forest beyond their private land. They were trying to keep everybody out of that section. They were trying to block it off with their private land so that they could hunt it. Mm-hmm. And so when I stopped hunting for out west, I was like, that's the first place I'm going to go. I've never been allowed to go there. Mm-hmm. And so I went out there. Um, and then on the first night, I, I did some glassing. I got to see a huge moose, didn't really see anything else. And then the next day, I went out, did a little glassing, didn't find anything, was planning on moving and then found, I knew of this basin that was on the other side of the mountain because I did guide in that, in that basin. It's called Big Klein Creek. And I knew that there wasn't a whole lot of access from the north side of that mountain. It's a long access. You're basically walking from Redstone all the way to a quarter mile or so behind Marble. So, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, the only, way to, the only other way to access it is a huge journey. Mm-hmm. And I just figured a lot of people weren't going to be making that. It was straight up for me, but you know, it's just time. Now, one foot in front of the other, eventually you're going to be up there. Yeah. So I go up there in the afternoon, and on my way up, I found a deadhead. And I was sitting there looking at this deadhead, and I decided to catch my breath, and I took a glass across the, the whole valley. And I was just looking, and I was like, I swear I could see an elk under every pine tree. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And you're just like glassing, and you're just like, these are all such perfect spots to see an elk. Like, how is there not an elk here? And I was just like glassing, 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 and I found a cow. She was so far away over a thousand yards away. She was all the way across the valley, across the creek, back up another mountain. What and elevation so were you at? I just decided to watch them. I, I was at like, at that point, I was at like 10,000, probably around 2002 or 2005, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. I was almost to the top of the ridge. And so I just took a breath and kind of watched this cow and then another cow came out and a couple calves came out and then a couple more cows and they're, they're, they're far enough away that I couldn't see if any of them had antlers, but there's about 10 or 12 of them there. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Point you in the right direction. I had two hours till. <laughs> What's that? They point you right into the direction you need to go. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I probably, I don't know. Looking back at it, I'm glad that I didn't make this decision, but I almost went back down the mountain I was on across the creek and up and across because I was just like, there's elk right there. Go after them. Like, don't leave elk to find elk. Mm-hmm. But I'd already kind of made a commitment on this mountain, and there's only really two hours till light or till uh, dark. And so I was like, okay, get up to the top of this mountain, look into the basin that you're intending to, but watch where these elk go. And if they if they move out of the area, just watch them until you literally can't watch them, so that in the morning you have like a basis of where you're looking for them. So I get up to the ridge, and I'm watching them. They're kind of feeding this field. They seem kind of settled for a second. I go over the ridge into the basin I was intending to hunt, Big Klein Creek, and I kind of set up a little makeshift blind. Now I'm at like 11,000 feet or so. I'm at the top of this ridge. There's just wind blasting everywhere, and I had some homework to do. So I sat down. I I had downloaded my biomechanics book on my phone. I was reading some chapters, and I looked down in this basin in the wallows, and this cow came out, and I was like, shit. I was like, I'm not against shooting a cow. You know, like I... After not having any meat last year, all I wanted was a freezer full of elk. I was so ready to shoot a cow. So, like, I'm putting my phone away, and I'm checking the elk over the ridge, make sure they're they're still there, because I'm planning on descending on this cow. I'm, I probably have, like, a 1,000-yard descent. It's, like, straight down the other side. This is, like, a knife-edge kind of ridge. This is not – it was very steep on both sides. Yeah. And when I come back over the ridge – and look at the cow down by the wallow in Big Klein. There's a bull with her now. He's like a five by four. He's just like covered in mud and just like steaming. And like it was like cold in the valley, but he was hot. So like the steam was coming off his back. And I was like, oh my goodness. That was it. So then I I packed up a bunch of warm warm layers in case I had to wait him out. And 
just started running down this mountain. Like it, it seriously felt like I was floating. Like my feet were not even touching the ground mm-hmm. when I was going down this mountain. Yeah. And I get down there and I strap, I, t- I take my bag off and I, I take all my outer layers off and I knock an arrow. So now I, I kind of know where I am. I'm about a hundred yards away from him. I knock an arrow. I don't know where, and he's kind of chasing this cow around. So I kind of expect him to be running around in the woods. So I just was getting ready. And I started sneaking through all the trees and I got up to this ledge that overlooked the wallow and I heard a bugle. And so I, so I waited and then I peeked over. I'm like 80 yards away now. And I look over and he's just bugling. He's just like covered in mud and just like his dick swinging everywhere. He's just like, he's literally like right on the edge of a wallow. And this cow's just like running in circles around him. And I was like, okay. So then I like kind of pulled back, composed myself, got ready, went back over and they were gone. Well, in that time, from when I was up on the ridge to the time I was back down, the sun had left the valley, which means the therm- the, the thermals had switched. Mm-hmm. So now my wind was going directly to him. And now I was just standing in the middle of this valley, quarter mile from camp now, mm-hmm. and it's almost dark and there's, and there's no elk. So then I just I had to hike straight back up, up and over the ridge. Didn't get to watch where this elk went because I was down there at dark. And I was kind of feeling down on myself, and I went down to camp. Woke up the next morning, went halfway up the ridge and looked back over and sure as shit, those elk were still in the same spot. And I, I like, I lost my mind. I was like, okay, <laughs> these are the elk that I'm going to kill. Mm-hmm. They're pretty far away. But if yeah. I get a game plan, I'll kill them this afternoon. And so I, I watched them until they went to bed. I watched until the last cow went into this small patch of timber because they're, they're, they were bedding at like 11,003. They were almost at the tree line. There was like, mm-hmm. their their patch of timber was butt up to a bunch of boulders. Yeah. I was like, okay. So the only other option is that they go out the backside of this and I don't see them. So once I put them to bed, I went down to camp, made myself a mountain house, got everything ready. And then I ate this jerky. This turned out to be the worst decision that I could have made, like, ever. <sighs> really? There, there's this jerky that was, like, on my hammock that was in the sun all morning. And I was just, like, in a hurry because... Where they were, I knew it was going to be like a super hard hike. I knew it was going to take me at least three hours to get to where I needed to be. Even though I could see where they were from, yeah. from camp, it's just so steep out there. It's just, there's no way of, there's no other way of doing it. It's just hard work. It is hard work. And so I ate a bunch of this jerky and... Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. There's a creek between me and the elk, and I get down in this creek, filling up my camelback, and I started like getting the shakes, and I started feeling really, really lightheaded. I think the jerky was bad because like I leaned over to the creek and I threw up on the ground and I was like, I felt like delirious for a second. And I was like thinking back, I was like, dude, what is wrong with me? Like, I know I cleaned the water. Yeah. I was like, I know it's not the water. I was like, that surely is not the mountain house. And then I remembered when I stuck my hand in the jerky bag, it was like wet on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. I was like, it has to be the jerky. Cause like the jerky was soaking wet. I was like, it's not supposed to be wet. It probably grew some bacteria or something on it. I don't know, but I threw up for like the next, I threw up for like the next two hours. 
just trying to hike. I would hike like 20 yards and throw up. And I'd hike another 20 yards and like dry heave. And then I'd try mm-hmm. to drink water and my body wouldn't even take the water. Mm-hmm. I would drink water and my body would throw up the water. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, what do I do? Meanwhile, you're like, just thinking about the elk herd. Yeah, exactly. By myself. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm almost to, I mean, I shot the elk 6.7 miles from where my truck was. So at this point, I was probably like, at least six miles, I was almost to where the elk were. Mm-hmm. And I'm still just throwing up. I'm six miles out by myself. It's it's really hot. It's like this third week of September. It's pretty hot. And I was just like, it felt like I was going through hell. Did you and camp on your back? No, I left camp. Okay. I left camp set up. Camp. But the plan was to kill the elk, take some me back to camp, and mm-hmm. make that kind of my halfway point between there and the truck. Yeah. And so I just had, I had a bunch of, I had, I had my big windbreaker jacket. Um, I had my cow calls and stuff. I had a little bit of trail mix. And I had an extra pair of wool socks. And then I had all my extra archery equipment. I always have an extra knock. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of Allen wrenches and stuff just in case some... I've, I just, I've had some stuff happen in the field. And then it just sucks me. I have to go back to the truck and fix it and go yeah. back out. But so I had a bunch of archery equipment and stuff in there too, but it was a pretty light, light pack. It was just the jerky was really messing with me. And eventually I'd thrown up everything that was in my belly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, what do you do? Uh, I, I got to the point where I, I had to make a really rough ascent because I couldn't access the elk just by the way the wind were. Mm-hmm. I had to go up and around, I had to go up the mountain past the, the, the patch of timber that they were in by mm-hmm. probably 300 yards or so mm-hmm. go past it and then traverse above them because yeah. the wind was coming up the mountain. So I wanted to get, you know, down, down one of them. Mm-hmm. And so right before the ascent, I had to make a, I had to make a, a tough decision. I was like, do you go back to camp? Like, are you really sick? I was like, are you gonna be able to make it? And also what condition are you going to be in? Because for the next two hours you have nothing but climbing. Mm-hmm. And so I sat there and I, I tried to eat some more food and I threw it up again. And I was just like, I started walking back to camp. I was like, no, it's not okay. Like you gotta, you gotta get this figured out first. That's very smart. And, but that, but the voice in the back of my head was like, Hey, there is elk right up there and you have never shot an elk. <laughs> and I started thinking about being a kid and watching the outdoor channel with my dad and seeing elk hunting on TV and asking him almost every single time I saw elk hunting, if we could go out to Colorado to hunt an elk. And him telling me no a thousand times. He's like, we have big deer here. We have big deer here. He told me no so many times. Mm-hmm. But now I was here, and I had my bow, and I had a tag, and there was elk right there, and it's all I ever wanted to do my whole life was to kill an elk. And I was like, I don't care if you die getting up there. I mean, if you die getting up there, then you die doing something cool. And so I just started going up, and it was so steep. that I was, I was having to throw my bow five yards up and crawl on my hands and knees to get up. I was like, climbing up rocks. I was, I was climbing up screen stuff. It was steep, steep. And then I got all the way above them. There's probably like three hours till, till dark now. Well, three hours until the sun was over the ridge. Then, and then you get a little bit more extra light. And so then I, I get everything set up and I'm looking down on this patch of timber and I'm trying to see any tan inside of it. And I was just like, Oh my God, what did you do? I was like, who knows if those elk are still in there? And I was like, you just, made yourself sick coming up here and now you're I was so drained my legs were drained mm-hmm. not having calories from being dehydrated and just the hike itself like my body was wrecked yeah. what did you do elevation like what did you do yeah yeah and and the elevation I was now at like 11,500 yeah. yeah and so like the up there. oh I know and I just like I started feeling really lightheaded and I, so I just sat down I was like okay we're gonna hang we're gonna hang out here we're gonna check out the timber 
once I kind of calmed down a little bit, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, while you're up here, keep an eye on that timber, but let's start navigating these dark timbers at this elevation in case the elk have moved up here. Mm -hmm. There's so many options that the elk could have gone in a way that I wouldn't have been able to see them. Yeah. So I was just kind of, I was trying to, like I was saying earlier, I was trying to knock down those variables. I was like, okay, are they up here? Are they behind it? No, they're not behind it. I went up and over the ridge to see if they had left and went to a different valley. Didn't see them down there. Went back to the patch of timber and I looked down. There's one cow out there. I was like, oh, here we go. Perfect. And that's like probably two and a half hours till, till dark. Mm -hmm. And so I go over to this spine that's coming down this mountain. And I get myself positioned on the backside of the spine so that I can move up and down the spine of this mountain without them seeing me. As long as I'm on the other side of the spine, they can't see me. And so I get to the other side of the spine. I drop my pack. I take off everything except for my underlayers. I grab the extra pair of wool socks out of my bag, put them over my socks, and knock an arrow, and I go down and shoot, shoot this cow. And so I go down there, probably like 100 yards away or so, and I just wanted to make sure that she was still there that she hadn't moved, that she hadn't heard me or seen me or smelled me or anything. I just wanted to make sure she was still there before I really got into the real serious stalking. And I peeked over and she was still there and now she was with a bunch of other cows. I was like, oh, great. Like, I had plenty of targets, you know? And so then I go down like another 40 or so yards and now I'm at the same elevation. I had marked them on my own and I was on the same elevation. And I go and I peek over the spine and there they all are, and they're like 80 yards away, right on the elevation, and my bull was in there. And I was like, oh, my God, there is a bull. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to not shoot a bull. I mean, I do want meat, but, you know, if there's an officer to shoot a cow or a bull, I'm going to probably shoot the bull if it's a bull that I want to shoot. Exactly. And he was definitely a bull I wanted to shoot, especially for my first elk. Um, and so I ranged him. He was at 80 yards, and there was, uh, there was a giant pine tree between – no, it was two giant pine trees between me and him. He was by the second one. And the rest of it was just this wide open field. And so I arranged him and he was broadside at 80. And I was like, ah, I got, I got plenty of time. I was like, let's just relax. I want to do this right. I went back over the spine, marked where they were again, kind of more, more specific on the onyx. And then went back up to my bag, got my cow call, um, got, a, got my windbreaker jacket just in case I had to kind of wait him out, which I did. Mm -hmm. and then I went back down, got myself positioned in like this little makeshift blind, and I was going to cow call to him, but I didn't want the herd to know where I was, and so I decided that being quiet was a little bit better, and I was like, okay, so let's see how close we can get then. I was like, there's a little bit of, there's like a 30-yard gap between the tree I'm at and the tree that he's behind. I was like, so what if I can get to that tree and kind of peek around the edge and get a shot at him? And as I'm crawling out to this next tree i realized that he is with probably 13 or 14 cows and so he's nice. chasing them around mm -hmm. and i was like okay maybe this isn't right maybe this isn't right and so then there's a sage bush between the two trees that was just big enough to hide me i'm like okay so i took my windbreaker jacket off because my underlayers kind of matched the sage a little bit better and i took it and i kind of tossed it behind the pine tree and i went back out to the sage bush and i got myself positioned up to it I dug my wool socks in, into the dirt, so I kind of had like a foothold and knocked an arrow, and I just kind of waited, and I watched. That was that was a really cool thing. I watched mm -hmm. for like an hour and a half this entire herd, so and he was cool. kind of chasing them around, and they were all cow calling to each other, and he was bugling at them, and they were, he was chasing them around and stuff, and mm -hmm. 
it was just really cool. I was like mesmerized. I was like, even if I don't shoot one of these things, this is like the best elk hunting experience that I could have got. These things are like 50 yards away from me and it's an entire herd. They have no idea I'm there. And the wind was perfect. The sun was hitting me just enough to keep me warm. And I was just like, I was in Bellhard dressed like limbo. I was like, oh, this is just like, this is what you dream of. And then, so I'm ranging. Any time that the elk would go behind that giant pine tree, I would range stuff, just like tufts of grass. I would range a sagebush that looked funny. I would range a stick on the ground. I'd range a log. And I kind of made this mental map of where where my range was. Mm-hmm. And in case this bull came out broadside, just randomly in one of these ranges, I didn't want to pull the range finder out because I'm technically in the middle of nowhere. Like I'm, I'm in front of a sagebush. That's all I got. So I didn't want a whole lot of movement. Mm-hmm. So I get all these ranges kind of pinned out and I'm kind of watching the herd and two cows kind of come out facing me and he comes around the corner of the pine tree. Man, I'm shaking talk, talking about this. He, <laughs> he comes around the corner of the pine tree and he lets out a bugle one cow splits off right, but one cow makes a beeline right to me. And I'm sitting on my butt on the ground. Cool. She's running directly at me. This this animal's 800 pounds, you know. And I'm, like, getting nervous. And I'm leaning back because she's getting closer and closer and closer. And then she stops running and starts walking mm-hmm. still directly at me. Not even, I mean, right dead center right at me. Mm-hmm. And I start leaning back, and she's walking, and she's walking. And all of a sudden, my arrow pokes her right in the neck, right in the brown fur of her neck. <laughs> And it stopped her, literally stopped her in her tracks. And she wow. looked directly down and looked me right in my pupils. And I looked at Miss Cow's pupils for like 30 seconds. I was just like, I stopped shaking. Like the elk fever went away and I was just like dead still mm-hmm. staring in this elk's pupils. And I was like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? And then she just turned and bolted. And that kind of, it didn't make the whole herd run, but it made them all alert mm-hmm. and just 20 years of bow hunting, it just told me that the gig was up. I was like, this is it. Now or never looked over. The elk was at this log that I had ranged at 70 yards. Mm-hmm. The bull was. Mm-hmm. And so all the elk were watching her run while they were watching her run. I, I got that Matthews to full draw and I hit the anchor point and I put that uh, as soon as I put the bow, it was like I had shot a thousand arrows. Yeah. All of a sudden well, the bow have. was at full draw. The sight was right on his heart, right where it needed to be. And he was looking right at me and there was no, it was so fluid. Mm -hmm. And like, I let my breath out and the arrow just like, I watched the arrow sail. And a three, a three vein arrow has just a little bit of a clockwise spin to it. And you can kind of watch it at those longer ranges. And I had a luminoc on and the bull was in the shade and I was in the light and I know I was in the shade and the bull, the bull was in the light and I was watching this luminox spin and I'm like, it seemed like the arrow was going so slow. I felt like I could just reach out and grab it. Right. Time really and slows down. And it's fun. Once it got to the shade or once it got into the light where the elk was, I couldn't see my luminox anymore. Mm-hmm. And the elk's fur was kind of shiny. And all of a sudden the bull ran away and I was like, oh my God, I missed him. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't see the luminox anywhere. I can't see my arrow anywhere. I don't see any blood on the bull. And then he, when he ran away, he like kind of stumbled for a second and then he turned his body and my broadhead was coming out of his heart on the other side. That's so awesome. And it was just like, it was like a faucet. Yeah. It was so crazy. It was like dumping blood. And I was like, Oh shit, I did get him. And I was like, Oh, I got him really good too. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And I started just like, my breath got really shallow. And I was like, Oh my God, holy shit. And I watched him, and he, like, didn't go 50 yards, and he laid down. Yeah. And he, like, kind of looked at his cows, and his cows were looking at him. And 
I'm just like, what is going on? Like, I just, I, even watching the arrow come out of him, I didn't believe it was real. Mm-hmm. I was like, and then he kind of put his head down and his breathing kind of got slower. And then all of a sudden he just stopped right there in front of me. He just expired right in front yeah. of me at 50 yards. And I was like, <gasps> and I just started crying. And I just like, I couldn't help it. It wasn't like sad tears at all. It was just like, for, it was like a tear out. for every, yeah. every step. It yeah. felt like it was a tear for every step I took up yeah. that thing. Yeah. And it was just like, and then I stood up and like the cows were looking at me and I was watching them and I didn't want to like spook them out. And they were kind of looking at the bull and then they kind of sauntered off and I went over the bull and put my bow on him. And I started just like thinking about who I wanted to call first <laughs> <laughs> and who I wanted to like know that I had done this. And I had no phone service out there. And it was just like kind of a joke that I was telling myself the whole time. I was like, who do you call? Yeah. But so then I, once all the excitement kind of went out and I got my pictures with the bull and me and him sat there in our home, just kind of like looking. I decided I had a lot of work to do. This thing was like a thousand pounds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then it was dark and I was by myself and like, then it all hit and I was like, oh, Dylan, you are at 11,300 feet right now and you are probably at least four miles from camp mm-hmm. by yourself and it's dark now Yeah. and you have this huge animal to skin and quarter yeah. and if you want to take meat out deboned, yeah. uh, you have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. So I turned on some tower shoulders and I just started getting to work and most of the time that I've been, all the times I've been guiding and working with elk, I had other people there to kind of hold up the legs and to move things and to like yeah, extra hold hands. the leg while I'm getting the leg off right. and, uh, you know, like pull the fur back for me and move the elk's head and mm-hmm. do this while I kind of did all the knife work. I always had somebody, at least a hunter, to hold stuff for me. Mm-hmm. And this bull was laying on his belly. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I have no, I, I tried to move him, and I couldn't by myself. Uh-huh. I tried to even get a log underneath him, yeah. and I couldn't move him. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So I started skinning him from the back. I started on the back and I opened him up like a book and I kind of put the fur out on the ground to keep the dirt off the meat, which is probably what I'll do from here on out when I'm skinning an elk, actually. It worked out really good to lay the fur out first and then just kind of put the meat on the fur and then you keep all the dirt and pine and stuff off the meat. But so I get everything all quartered out and then, and then I remembered I hadn't eaten any food or anything all day and I was like, why am I so lightheaded? I was like, I know I'm strong. I was like, I feel strong. I was like, why am I so lightheaded? I feel like I can't move. And I started like not being able to tell what was up and down too. I was like, oh, you idiot. You didn't eat any food all day. You threw up everything. You hadn't even drank any water. Like every time I tried to drink water, I threw it up. I was like, what are you doing? And I was like, okay, take, take the back straps, the inner loins, the neck meat, and the head, and let's just get out of here. I was like, hang up, hang up the quarters, mark it on the GPS, get back to camp, get back out here first thing in the morning and we'll start doing the heavy work tomorrow when I can figure out what's going on with like mm-hmm. my stomach. Yeah. And then it just like, it must've been the adrenaline because mm-hmm. like everything after that is just literally downhill. Yeah. I mean, met, met, metaphorically and literally it was downhill cause I was at, I had to go downhill <laughs> to camp, but like exactly. my health was downhill. Yeah, like the exactly. adrenaline wore off and like mm-hmm. I started carrying stuff and, I was walking out and I kept on getting cliffed out and having to go back up and around. I was like, Oh my gosh, just like killing more energy. Wow. Eventually I was like, I was like dry heaving. Like my body still wanted to throw up and I was just dry heaving. It's like one o'clock in the morning now and I'm by myself. Honestly, I was really scared. Mm-hmm. 
was the first time I've ever been in the woods that I felt le- like legitimately scared to death. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is happening? I was like, is this okay? Yeah. I was like, did I push it too far? I was like, I need to know like what my standards are. Mm-hmm. Like what is going on? And so I, I, I kept on following the GPS and then my phone died and my phone has my Onyx on it. So then I really got scared. And I was, now I was in the middle of these, this mountain. This is the first time ever on this mountain. And I was at least a quarter mile or so, or at least a mile at that point from camp. And now my GPS was dead. So I, I was like, okay, I kind of, usually I would use like the stars or the moon or something, but there were so many clouds out. I, I literally couldn't see the tops of the mountains. It was just dark everywhere. I couldn't even see the tops of the mountains. I had zero navigation. Yeah. And I was like, okay, just, just downhill. I was like, all you gotta do is get to that Creek. Mm-hmm. Once you get to that Creek, you know, you're, you know, you're just an uphill back up to camp. I was like, okay, the Creek is the goal. Mm-hmm. I was like, just watch where you're walking, take your time and just get to the Creek. I get another half hour into it. And I, I literally, I had to let go of the head. Like, it was just too heavy. Everything was too heavy. I didn't have any energy. I didn't have any calories. I was just like, I was like breaking down. I was like right on the verge of like laughing and crying at myself. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is so silly. I was like, dude, this is your life that we're talking about here. Let's just be serious. Yeah. And so I took the head off and I put it underneath the pine tree and made a rock kern so, so I could see it because I couldn't park it on my own because my phone was freaking dead. Yeah. So I made this rock kern next to this pine tree so I, so I knew where the head was so I wouldn't lose it. And then I kept on going down, going downhill, going downhill. And you know, health is just getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like falling into trees. I was like walking and falling into aspen trees. And I was just like basically stumbling through the woods. Mm-hmm. And, and, then I, and then I heard the creek and I was like, oh, yes, okay. Got like a sudden like burst of energy. Mm-hmm. And just from like, just from looking at that area the day before in the binos and looking at it on the map, when I got to the creek, I knew where I was. But now I was like, at least a thousand yards downstream of where I, yeah. where I originally had crossed. Oh, man. And so I had to go a thousand yards upstream. And I was like, I was like, can this get any worse? Right. And I kept on going up, going up. And I started getting into this brush and it wasn't, this brush is so thick. Like it wasn't the type of thick that you like, you know, you put your arm into it and move out of the way and then walk through it. This is like the brush that like, it literally grabs every square inch of your body. Mm-hmm. You know, like the stuff that's next to the creek. I, I, I know people have a name for it. I don't, I don't know what it's called. It's like a red bush, but it was that for like 300 yards. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God. And it was just like taking every ounce of energy I had left just mm-hmm. to walk 10 yards because everything was holding on to me. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on? So then I get to the creek. I'm like, oh, thank God. Cross the creek. I'm like, okay. Cross the creek. I am like on my way home now. Kept walking. Had to go through a little bit more of the bush, come back to the creek again. I was like, how am I back at this creek? And now it's flowing the other way. I was like, it's not supposed to be flowing that way. I was like, what is going on? I'm like, I'm doing circles. I was like, so then I like walked across the creek, went, came back, walked across, came back to the creek a third time. I was like, oh, I was like, I'm never going to make it out of here. Yeah. I was like, I'm stuck in this freaking creek. And I was like, I felt super lightheaded, so I just wanted to lay down. And, like, yeah. I took my bag off, and, like, I sat next to the creek, and I took a handful of water, didn't even try to clean it or anything. I was just, like, so dry mouth, like, mm-hmm. had vomit all over my, like, chin and stuff. And I was just, like, washing off my face and wow. tried to take a drink of water and just threw it up instantly. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die down here. I was like, it's not okay. I started, like, 
tearing up and I put my bag down. I put my head on my bag and I laid flat on the ground right, right next to the creek and like everything got easy. It just felt like everything got super easy and it felt like the grass was just like holding me. It was like the grass was hugging me and I was like, oh, this is so nice and I just like took off like my jacket and it was cold and I was like, why are you taking your jacket off? I felt hot when it was cold and I was like, what is going on? And like my breath was getting slower and shallower. And then I started feeling like that bowl. And I start. I remembered the bowl breathing shallower and it started to freak me out. And I was like looking up at the clouds and, and I was like, I was like, I'm just going to sleep here. I was like, I'll just close my eyes and I'm just going to sleep here. And when I wake up in the morning, then the light, I'll be able to see with the light and then I'll be able to go back to camp. And it was what I was telling myself. And I was like, just do that. It's okay. I closed my eyes, my breath got a little bit shallower, and then, like, it was hard to pull in the next breath. And, like, right at the top of that breath, I had, like... In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. When I've told the story, people have called it a vision. I don't know, I don't know what's, but I saw my dad in his kitchen on his cell phone, and it was like somebody just told him that I didn't make it home, mm. and he started crying. <laughs> Wow. And so that gave me enough energy. I was just like, and I stood up and I grabbed my bag and I was like, you're, you're, you're making it back to camp. I was like, he's not getting that phone call. Mm-hmm. And so right then I was just like, I had clicked off my headlamp when I laid down and when I stood back up with all that energy, I looked and there was just a little break in the clouds above the mountains that were above my mm-hmm. camp. It was like a little sliver, yeah. but in that sliver, I could see the peak of the mountain that my camp was right below. So I had like an aiming point mm-hmm. and I just got all the freaking adrenaline in the world. <laughs> and I just like took off up this mountain. <laughs> and I was just like grabbing at wow. roots with my hands. And I'm just like smelling bomb. And I'm like covered in blood. Like I got cuts all over my face and stuff. And I'm just like <laughs> screaming at this mountain. I remember yelling as I'm like crawling through these aspen trees. I remember yelling at the mountain. I was like, how could you do this to me? Mm-hmm. Like I trusted you, you know? Yeah. You know, it wasn't the mountain's fault. I was pissed. Mm-hmm. I was like, how could you do this to me? Like, I love you. <laughs> and eventually, <clears throat> I got into this field that the camp was in. I knew where I was, and I just, like, I lost my mind. I just took off running to camp, and I was just so happy to see it. And I got back into camp and started stripping off gear and yeah. tried to get the meat out. And I was like, you should cook some meat. I was like, no, you should go to bed. And I was like, I don't know what time it is. But I, I know for sure now it's like 2 or 3 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I tried, I tried to get in my hammock and then the adrenaline wore off again. And I like went to go get in my hammock and I tried to open it up and my arm like shot back into my chest from cramping because I mm-hmm. hadn't had any water. Yeah. And like my arm just shot into my chest and I was like, oh God, my bicep was cramping. My forearm was cramping. I was like, Jesus. But I like leaned into the hammock and with my pinky, I pulled open the hammock and just threw my body into it. All my camo on, like bow fell on the ground and mm-hmm. I was out like a sack of potatoes. I was just done. And then I woke up in the morning at like 10 o'clock in the morning and I felt so bad. I was like, luckily the meat was hung in dark timber mm-hmm. and it was hung. So the air was getting, getting to it. It wasn't just sitting on the ground, you know? Yeah. And so I knew the meat was fine and 
I just knew that my number one mission was to see if I could eat food. And so I got the back strap out of my bag and started a fire and started cooking up some meat. And the first chunk of meat that I took off the rock went down like a charm. And I was like, yes. So then I took like, it was an elk backstrap. It was a like half the backstrap. It was probably like a quarter of the backstrap. It was a big chunk. I had to start cutting it into pieces. I was just slicing it into pieces. Ate like four more, ran down to the creek, filled up my camelback with uh, water, chugged it, filled it back up with water, went, went back up to camp, ate some more meat, went, went down to the creek again. <laughs> it's like noon now. Yeah. Drinking some more water. Drank so much water now that I'm throwing up from overconsumption. I was like, all right, there we go. Yeah. Now, now I'm, now <laughs> I'm ripped, roaring, ready, ready to go. Yeah. Exactly. So then I went back and I, I, I have this, this mountain ops supplement. It's like a, it's like a cardio supplement, the Yeti. And, uh, ripped some of that in my shaker bottle and took off up the mountain and piggybacked it all the way back to camp. Um, I don't know if I'll do that me- that method again. I thought that would mm-hmm. be the right method. I, yeah. I I piggybacked it back to my camp and then piggybacked it from my camp down to truck. For those who some, some people call it leap leapfrogging it. Yeah, I was gonna say for the listeners who don't know what piggyback means, explain that. Yeah, some 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 people call it leapfrogging. So instead of taking so with with an elk, generally I like to do five pieces to get you know if it's not deboned, you get five pieces in. In, in your game bag, you get a back leg, front leg, back leg, front leg, and then the neck, inner loins, and uh, back straps, and another bag. It's five bags. So I go back up there and I debone it. So you get five bags of meat. And so instead of taking one bag from where the meat tree is, what I call it, where all your meat's hanging up, if you're going from your meat tree to camp, instead of doing it all in one trip, you go two, three hundred yards, take that bag, tie it up in a tree walk back up the mountain two, 300 yards, grab another bag, move it to that spot. And you just keep on doing that and two, 300 yard segments that way you don't, cause there, there was a time in, in my past that I was packing out an elk and we, we did all in one trip, got all the way back to camp and everybody was so tired. They didn't want to go back to the meat tree cause it was so far away. Mm-hmm. And so leapfrogging is kind of a way of avoiding that, especially when your truck's seven miles away from the elk. Yeah. You take that first bag of meat down to your truck, you're going to be looking back up at the mountain like, I don't want to go back up there. Exactly. It's so far, yeah. you know? So that's kind of what the leapfrogging thing is. Mm-hmm. But leapfrogging takes a long time for one, mm-hmm. and it's very monotonous for two because you're literally doing the same thing five times every 200 yards, and there's 1,760 yards in a mile, and I was three and a half miles from camp. So it literally took me all day. I got the very last bag of meat back to my camp two hours after dark that's and that and it took me all day to move it three three and a half miles mm-hmm. by myself and i and i did i deboned it i deboned it within the first no i deboned it after the third leapfrog i was like this is stupid take mm-hmm. the bones out because the bones weigh so much yeah, they do. They so i deboned it after the third leapfrog and i got back to camp made another mountain house kind of tidied up camp got stuff ready for the descent down to the truck cooked up a bunch of meat uh, oh, and then I had to go back and get get the head too. I went back and got the head at like midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day, woke up, kind of felt like my body had been destroyed. I've been out there for like five days now. And my body was just like it was. I know my body really well. Fit, fitness is like my it is my main thing. It is like that is what I study. 
I have a biology degree. I have an associate of science degree, and they're both based on the human body. I mean, that is like my thing. And I just, I know my body really well. I know reading my body really well. And it was just like, I had the, the, the go in me, but my body did not have all the pieces that it needed yeah. to carry me out with all that meat. Yeah. It just didn't have it in it. And I pushed myself all the time. And I told myself to quit being a I, yeah. I was like, pick up this meat and start moving it. I was like, if you don't start moving this meat to the truck, it's going to go bad. And that is so disrespectful to so, this animal yeah, exactly. to let that meat go bad because mm-hmm. you didn't work out enough, mm-hmm. because you were too lazy, because you didn't prepare. Yeah. Like, that is that is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. There's no way. And so I just started picking up bags of meat, and it hurt so bad. It took me all day to move. I moved it. Mm-hmm. Got it within a quarter mile. I got all five bags within a quarter mile of the trailhead that my truck was at. And when I dropped the last bag at this meat tree, it was like nine o'clock at night. And it was my, I think it was my fifth day. And I really just wanted to go home. I, I felt like my body was like broken. I went to go pick up the bags again to move them a little bit closer. I was only a quarter mile away. I was like, mm-hmm. my real plan is to finish it out by myself. Yeah. And I went to go pick up another bag and like literally every piece of my body said no. I was like, my, like when I went to go grab the bag, my biceps said no. When I went to go throw it over my shoulder, my shoulder and my back said no. I was just like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the limit. And if, if the limit for me was a quarter mile away from the truck after everything else I did, then I was okay with that. And everything you've been through, being sick, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And that was, that was why the quarter mile from the truck was okay for me that mm-hmm. night. I was like, if this is my limit, this is my body being like, hey, this is it. Mm-hmm. If you want to go further, you got to work out harder next year. You got to do some more things. You got to prepare harder next year if you want me to go further. And I was just listening to my body. So hung up all the meat, walked down, so happy to see this truck. First time I've seen it in five days. And took all my bloody stuff off, drove downtown, cried like twice on the way home just from all the hell I'd gone through. It was just like, couldn't believe I was back in town. I was seeing other people and it was like, none of these people knew what I'd just gone through. They didn't, they didn't know I almost died in the Creek. They, yeah. no, nobody had any idea. Yeah. And I was just driving through town, just like wondering what the hell was going on. I was like, what did you just do? Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't, I was like, I almost couldn't believe it was true. And I told my dad the story, he cried on the phone when he heard that I was laying in the Creek. He was like, dude, you can't do that. And I was like, I know. I don't want to do it solo anymore, but yeah. Then I got back to the house and uh, I came upstairs and my roommate's mom was visiting from Indiana and I came upstairs and she had told me that they had, that my roommate had called the search and rescue on me because I was supposed to be home the night prior mm-hmm. and I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. there yet. So they were out looking for me. So we, so we, had, we had to call and tell them that I was okay. I was just packing on milk. Um, and then, so then. I'm, I'm sitting in the living room and Diane has known me for a while and she's like looking at me. She's like, dude, you don't look good. She's like, you look like you haven't eaten in days. I know I really haven't. I had some meat today and yesterday, but like, so then I go down and I weigh myself and between carrying the mule deer out and carrying that elk out, when I started the bow season, I was 187 pounds. When I went down after that elk hunt and weighed myself, I was 153 pounds Wow! and my heart, my heart sank. Yeah. I I looked at myself in the mirror and you can see on my Instagram, if you look at the picture of me and my bowl, mm-hmm. my cheeks are all sunk in. Oh, like so I, sunk I, in. I look like I haven't eaten in days. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. I was, I went to go take a shower and I like, I stripped everything off. And I was just looking at myself. You could see where all my muscles were, where, where they were all attaching. Mm-hmm. You could see like, 
You could see every one of my ribs. You could wow. see there was not an ounce of fat anywhere on yeah. my body. Did you Didn't even look good. No, I yeah. I wish I would have now, but at that time I was so ashamed. Yeah. About how I looked, it didn't look good. I didn't look like the guys from Three Hundred. Okay, yeah. it looked like I was really, really, really sick. Mm-hmm. It looked like I was like, it looked like I was just hadn't eaten. You know, yeah. I, and one hundred eighty-seven to one hundred fifty-three. That does some things to your to your body physiologically. Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah. I mean, beyond the things like blood pressure and blood osmolarity. Just your your frame carrying 187 pounds to go into carrying 153. That's mm-hmm. it, not, not okay for your body to do that. Yeah. You're not, it's, it's just not supposed to happen. And so I went to go take a shower, and I just got cuts everywhere. And I, and I showered up and came back upstairs, and Diane had the first aid kit out, and we spent probably like a half hour just like mending all the wounds and wow. debating if some of them needed stitches or not. And, mm-hmm. Then my roommates came home and they were all freaking out. They were just happy I was alive. And I just like, when they, when they came home, it was like they were speaking a foreign language. I don't know. I was like in this mountain mode mm-hmm. from going through all that. It was like it's they were talking to me and I was like looking too. at them. Yeah. Yeah, it was so much. And I was just like looking at them. And it was like they're going, wah, 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 wah. And I was just like, I had to go to bed. I was just like, I can't, I can't really be up here with the TV going and you guys talking. And I was just like, I just spent five days talking to myself. I got a text from you that night. Yeah, I'm sure. I told a bunch of people. And you were like, Hey, I'm heading back out in the morning. Are you able to help out? Yeah. Yeah. To get that last quarter mile. Yeah. Yeah, So then Jake, one of the guys I bartend with and the owner of the bar, they met me me at my house. Yeah, Chris, Chris called or, me and was like, or texted me and was oh, just really? like, hey, like, we were supposed to hear from Dylan. We haven't heard from him. So that's why I was like, shoot, I need to, like, try calling him. And I think I tried yeah. calling you and you had no energy to talk to me. So you shot me a text. Well, wait, well, the lucky part about all this and just synchronicity in general, me and Jake were playing the guitar the day before I went hunting. And I pulled up Onyx on the big screen in our living room. And I was like, hey look at this cool-ass area I'm about to go kill an elk in. Mm. And he's not really into hunting, but when you get a map on the big screen, you get the topo, it looks cool. Yeah. And I'm like, pointing to him, I was like, I think they're going to be in here. I'm going to go camp here first. And I'm give, I gave him my whole game plan. Yeah. And Jake, just being Jake, remembered all of it. Yeah. And so when Nick was calling the search and rescue, he was just going off of what he had heard from me when I killed my mule deer. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's on Raspberry Ridge. But that's not beneficial because I'm not there. Yeah. You know, so if I really was laying in the creek, they'd have been looking on the wrong mountain. So then Jake, the night that I, the night that I got home, Jake called the search and rescue. He's like, "Hey, that's not true. He told me where he is. And he's like, I know where his camp is. I know where he was planning on camping. And so he gave them that info. Chris has Onyx because Chris is a hunter. So Chris pulls up his Onyx. Jake finds Carbonate Creek, mm-hmm. pulls up the map, looks familiar to him, and then he starts explaining things like I was explaining things, you know? And so that, yeah. and so then me and Chris went out, me and Chris and Jake, they met me in my house the next day, and I was like, even though it's a quarter mile, it's going to take me a long time because my body hurts. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, if, so if you guys just walk up the trail and you get there first, You'll see the meat hanging on the trees right off the trail. I was like, mm-hmm. just grab it. I was like, I just might not be able to go very fast. Yeah. But, you know, and then I get excited and I drink a double cup of 
cups of coffee and you know, just <laughs> You're going. kind of get excited about going back out there. And then I was just going, you know. Yeah. So then we went up there and got all the meat. And, yeah, I got it back and got it processed. And now I'm just, I, I eat it every day. Mm-hmm. It is, that is my diet is elk and deer. This story so, right here, too, look, like verifies why it's so important if you are doing a solo hunt to always try and let somebody know, show them on a map, maybe send them a waypoint, yeah. you know, of where you're going. Right. Like I'll send a waypoint I, to my totally dad or agree. someone and be like, this is where I'm going to be hunting. I'll get back to you in this amount of days if you don't hear from me, you know. So very, and very to important. never forget to do that. Yeah. Because that, that elk hunt was the first time that I hadn't done that. Mm-hmm. Every other time I had gone hunting, I had left the GPS points of where I was planning on camping on the fridge in our house. Mm-hmm. This hunt, I was just so excited because like the, I left on a Tuesday and that Monday or no, that Sunday me and Nick made the schedule and I was like, Hey, I'm going to go kill an elk this week. I was like, you should give me as many days off as I can get as many as you can afford to give me, give me those. And so he gave me like three full days off and that I was just like, Oh my God. I was like, I'm going elk hunting mm-hmm. and I don't have to be back forever. I was like, I'm going so deep. I was like, it was just like, so then that, that Tuesday morning, I was so excited that I had to work. I like packed up all my stuff. When I went to the archery range right, right, right before work, and I was like, okay, five arrows. You're gonna shoot one arrow at every range, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and you're gonna hit them all in the black, and then you're gonna go hunting. And that's gonna be your confidence booster. Yeah. And I did. And it was just like everything was coming together. I was so excited, and then did, I, did, I did my shift, and everything was packed up in my truck, and I just like didn't even stop at the house. Yeah. I had everything in there, and I was like, "I'm going. I'm let's going. go." You're gonna go didn't listen to any music the whole way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God! I never even listened to any music. I didn't listen to a podcast. It was like a 45 mm-hmm. minute drive. Yeah. All of a sudden, I showed up at the trailhead. The radio was off the whole time. I was like, "Oh my God!" Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah it was, Your mind was, it was entertaining you the was. entire time. Oh, I know. Because like you're always going through scenarios mm-hmm. of what could happen, and then yeah. like trying to be like, "Oh, did I forget this? Did I forget this?" You know, and like. You don't want to have to turn the truck around, but like some things you have to turn the truck around for, you know, yeah. you know, you know how you can forget some things you're like, I'll be okay without it. And yeah. then some things you'd be like, Oh, I forgot that. I actually have, I'm not going hunting without that. You know, yeah. not going to be at my best without my release. What a wild emotional so, first hunt for you, Dylan. And that is also yeah, it the was first super time I've crazy. heard that story. I remember is you it? texting me saying, I got an elk down and I was like, oh, I can't get help, like, come help you, but congrats, can't wait to hear the story. And you're like, Dre, you're not going to believe it. I know. <laughs> like, and every time I tell the story, I have to, yes. like, preface the story wow. to people and be like, trust me when I tell you, That's I would, insane. hunting is very serious to me and yeah. I would not make this up. I did not want that to happen. It kind of makes me look weak in a way. Like, I thought I was like a woodsman and I let my emotions and my adrenaline, mm-hmm. you know, if I hadn't yeah. gone for it, though, I wouldn't have killed the bull. So it's yeah. kind of like, would you have done it all looking back at it? Like looking back at it, would you have done anything differently? Would you have maybe instead of kept pushing yourself, do you think you would have maybe slowed down and been like, all right, I'm going to spend the night here. I'm going to regain strength and keep going. Knowing myself. No, Yeah. I really don't think that I, I would have done that. The only thing that I, that I would have changed is not, not just sticking my hand in that jerky and just going. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, that, that was the game changer up. right there. Yeah. That was the yep. game changer. Because Absolutely. I was excited about seeing the elk bed. I was excited that I had a whole afternoon to get up to him. 
And I just ate the mountain house. I was like, you're going to eat a few extra calories. And that jerky was sitting right on my hammock, right there in the sun, just baking. And I stuck my hand in there, grabbed like four or five pieces, chomped on them. They felt, I, I remember when I was throwing up the first time, I remember my hand feeling wet and then feeling wet when I was chewing on them. I was like, that's mm-hmm. why that little silica packet's in there. Yeah. Exactly. To keep the moisture off. That's how bacteria grows. Mm-hmm. You idiot. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that was the only thing. That was the only thing that I yeah. that I would have changed that and just like going with somebody. Mm-hmm. No, it's cool to go solo. I like going solo. But yeah. Well, I'll do some hunting. If I'm going to go that deep, sure. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. just not. It's just not smart for the meat. You've got. You had your, your fill for it. Yeah, that was exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, that was like a lifetime achievement for me mm-hmm. to do it solo, be in the backwoods by yourself, getting your own water, you know, shooting grouse by yourself. You know, you just you know what I'm talking about. There's mm-hmm. just some moments when you're by yourself is just like pure emotion. You're just mm-hmm. like so happy to be there with yourself. Yeah, cooking up a grouse at night by yourself, listening mm-hmm. to some Sturgill Simpson by the fire. It's just like. Good. No good. cares in the world. It's the greatest feeling ever. It's so just like good. an addiction. People think but it's so weird that I, I do. don't really watch much television, and I'm like, well, <laughs> don't really. I feel need guilty. To. Yeah. I feel guilty when I watch television. It's like, yeah. what? What else could I be doing? What a false. Yeah. Exactly. That's why the guitar is great. Yeah. I'm awesome. glad that I started playing the guitar. It's like, well, give next me time something we to check do. In. Yeah. Next time we check in because I want to do an episode with you later on where we talk about bow mechanics and you can kind of go over that for all of our listeners. Um, I think that would yeah, be we a, should great, do that. a great episode coming up here in 2021. So we can go over kinetic energy and stuff. Yeah. We can go over that whole other aspect of archery season, but thanks for sharing your story, man. It was so great to catch up with you. Um, let's, yeah, heck yeah. let's stay in touch. Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. We'll talk to you later. Have a good day. All right, you too. Bye. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country. Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in-